So now I'll call Matt up. Matt's birthday was yesterday. He turned 21. Hard to believe. So if you see him after this, he requested a bear hug, a long bear hug from anyone. <laughs> I do. I love those a lot. Um, thank you, Evan. I, yeah, I'm just going to let you all into some real time uh, processing of what, what's been going on with me this week. So, um, yeah, true confessions, I'm not 24 years old. And that I'm the only one surprised by that when I say that now. Uh, if you guys have seen Nate Bargatze's new like, stand-up, uh, he's got one bit in there where he basically confesses having those same thoughts. And Lee laughs every time we watch it because she's like, that's you. Because he talks about still hanging out with 23-year-olds. And he's like, yeah, you know, like just us 23-year-olds hanging out. And then some guy his age walks by and he's like, beat it, old man. It's us young people are trying to hang out. And like that's, I mean, that's how I see myself. And then, <laughs> yeah, it's not funny, Maggie. And then this week, uh, just, I don't know if it had to do with birthday or, or not, but like just little bits of like, just these thoughts kept peppering in this week of like, yeah, like that was a great memory, but you're not going to do that again. Or like, yeah, these are the things that are now out of the picture for you as you continue to age. And guys, it got so bad that this morning, uh, my like Sunday morning routine before our pastor prayer time is I'll go to Frothy and just kind of sit with my notes and get a, a tea and, and maybe some breakfast. And I watched and these two ladies in their like mid 80s at least came in and they sat down at this table a little bit away from me and they were so joyful. And I was like, somebody needs to tell them that they're in their 80s and there's not anything to be joyful about. And so... <laughs> I got up and I went over there and I just squashed it. No, But it was like, that was a very convicting moment for me, even this morning of like, wow, I, I am so, and this is, a, I mean, it's exactly, it's not a coincidence. This is what we're talking about today, but just the good limits that God gives us, even before the fall, even before sin entered the world and just started to destroy um, beautiful things that God had created, there were still limits and those limits are good and those limits are meant to lead us to life. And so, um, Andrew Belcher, if you'll come up and read our passage for us, if y'all want to follow along, we're going to have it on the screen, but it's Genesis 2, 4 through 17. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to, the water, to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gion. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush, 
And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we come into your presence this morning and we are desperate to hear from you. We are desperate for you to breathe new life into us through your Holy Spirit, that you would open our mind and our hearts through your word, and Lord, that you would bring life. Thank you that you promise us that you always bring life. Your word never returns void. You always send it out and it accomplishes the purposes for which it's sent. And so you send it to us to bring life, to continue to draw us into a deeper intimacy with you, to continue to make us more like Jesus, to free us from sin, to free us from ignorance, and to lead us, free us from selfishness, and lead us into love, love for you and love for our neighbor. And so we pray in faith, and we we thank you in advance that you do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, we're going through this series on origins. We're looking at Genesis 1 through 12, and we're you know, here in these first 12 passages, first 12 chapters of scripture, we have the origins of everything, the origins of time and space and matter and the created order and this universe and justice and goodness and evil and mankind and sexuality and, and so much is here in the beginning and, and why we work and, and what God is doing in the world and what he is like and who we are in relationship to him and all of these things. And so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about what it is that man is like God, what it is that man is made in God's image and the ways in which we are like God. And so uh, this week, we are focusing on the ways in which we are different from God. We are limited creatures uh, made to be in relationship with an infinite creator. And the limits that he gives us are good because those limits lead us to him and those limits lead us to life. And so here, I I just want to draw our attention to, to three limits we encounter, I love, like, I don't usually do the three points. I try to find three things that started with the same letter. Um, but we're, we're, I have three points today, guys. Um, the first is what it is to be formed. You know, it says in this passage that God formed man out of the dust. And that's our first limit that we encounter here is that uh, we, we've been talking about creation, big picture creation, and now we zoom in. And in verse four, it says, uh, the, the generations of the heavens and the earth, and then it reverses and says the earth and the heavens. It's sort of like we're zooming in, and it's not a, it's not a retelling of the creation account, but it's just a, a, a different angle in focusing on God's creation of man. And so I, I don't want us to get lost in, um, you know, we know that it says already in the chapter before this that God created uh, on the different days, and he created the, the plants and the trees and all that. And so here, what I want us to just take from, this passage starting in verse five, uh, where it, it talks about how the plants hadn't sprung up yet. It's just this idea that all of creation is really, man is not an afterthought, man is a forethought. And all of this creation exists for man to cultivate and have an active relationship with the Lord and with creation. And so there's some way in which the Lord was saying, yeah, we're not quite ready for all of this to take its full form yet because I haven't created man. And then we kind of zoom in and see God create man. And, and it says that the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And so we have uh, 
first that God formed man. Uh, that word formed is like a potter molding clay. So there in his formation of man, who is both natural and supernatural, there's this natural part that man is made from dust. Man is made from the elements of this world. And then he's also breathed into by the very spirit of God, the breath of God. So he, there's a supernatural element. There's this, this amazing combination that we are as humans, as like dearly loved and precious dust, is that we are on the one hand so frail and on the other hand uh, imbued with such power and uh, the way that we are made in God's image is so beautiful and we have such capacity for good. And so it says that the, the Lord God formed man just like a potter forms uh, something beautiful out of clay. He's formed with care. He's formed with design. He's formed with purpose. And he's, he's made from dust and from the breath of God. Um, and even so, even at this point, uh, the first man had limits. Um, he, he couldn't be everywhere and do everything. He couldn't fly. He couldn't swim the way that the creatures of the sea swam. He was limited to, to be the way that he was created, to be in these good limits, in this human form that he had, to be in relationship with his creator in a way that he was designed for, in a way that he was formed, just the way that the potter is forming this, this beautiful uh, work of art from a, a piece of clay. Um, he could have made that piece of clay into anything, Anytime a sculptor goes to the potter's wheel, he could make that clay into anything, but he chooses to make it into one thing. And so here we are made, we are made limited, but that limitation is good because he makes us into this one way in which uh, he desired to make us for our good and for his glory. And we see here now that um, in these good limits, uh, we were given everything we needed um, to be what it is to be human, to be in relationship with God, to be um, where he put us and just to exist as humans. And so um, all this care, all this design, all this purpose, we know that we don't live in a perfect world anymore. And so we want to ask the question, what about now? You know, we, we are not this first person. We were not made in the sinless Garden of Eden where, where sin's uh, clutches have not uh, tainted everything. And so what about us? Am I made that way? So two, two things I want to look at. One is um, Psalm 51 says this, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. So there's this reality now that um, sin has tainted the world, but it's also tainted us. And it's, it's even in our genetics. It's in the way that we are born and physically, mentally, emotionally, we are born in ways and we develop in ways that are not the way that God intended. Um, we, are, we have frailties, we have issues, we have um, our body parts that don't work right, we have um, babies that don't make it out of uh, birth. We have all of these issues um, in us now, and so it's tempting to stop there and say, yeah, sin has tainted everything, and so the, the purpose and the form and the care of God, the creator, is, is gone. But that's not true, uh, because in Psalm 139, the same author who wrote, wrote Psalm 51, David, King David, says that, no, 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 God still creates with that purpose and care. Psalm 139, he says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. So now we live in this time where these two things are both true. We live in this time where, um, yes, sin is tainting the world 
And yes, sin is tainting all of creation. And yes, sin is leaving its mark on humanity as we live in this fallen world and things are not all as they should be. And yet at the same time, the Lord is still intentionally with care and purpose uh, making every single one of us. He is intervening in his ways and and for his mysterious purposes, um, he chooses not to intervene in some ways to change our makeup or to change the way that we are born in ways that we think are, are a major issue and a major hindrance to the life that we would live here. And he's saying, no, 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 this is exactly what I have for you. And so just like a window into what it is now to be formed and what it is to be human and be formed by God and have these, these limitations and to wonder if they're good, um, we go to John 9.3, this passage where um, the disciples are seeing this person, this man who was born blind, and, and they're recognizing what's true. Um, things are not meant to be this way. That man is born with eyes. He's made to see. And the fact that he can't see means that there's something wrong. And so they start asking the question, is something wrong? Did he sin? Did he do something wrong and this is a punishment? Or did his parents sin and they did something wrong and this is a punishment? So even in, in their way of thinking is so limited that like surely somebody is getting punished for something because of the way that this man was born. But what does Jesus say? Jesus said, it's not that this man sinned or his parents. He was born this way so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus is saying, look, I'm, I'm, God is all about redemption. And it it, it even goes as far into every individual man, woman, and child that has been born since the fall, since sin entered this world and began to taint things. God is is intentionally working and moving and forming and shaping and creating people in such a way that we are watching and witnessing as this grand redemption story is taking place and things are not the way they should be and they will one day be the way they should be. And we are carried through in this story and even these places that feel like these, these limitations, God is saying, I have intentionally placed and crafted you and, and allowed these limitations to exist so that my glory would be displayed in you. So no matter what you look like, I mean, we can get real honest, guys, and I, and I know that we, we all deal with this in different ways. No matter what you think about the way your face looks, no matter what you think about how your body looks, whether it's too fat or too skinny, whatever frailties you have, physical frailties, mental, emotional frailties, whatever the, the things are that you are constantly cursing in yourself and saying, I don't want this. I want this to be different. I want, I'm fighting against this. I'm raging against this. Even all of these things, our age, our brain chemistry, our sexuality, gender confusion, anything that we face within the bodies that we've been formed in, God is saying, it's okay. It's okay. It's not always going to be this way, and I've allowed you to be the way that you are to display my glory in you. Nothing about the way that you were formed will keep you from the deepest, most intimate relationship with me, which is ultimately why you were created. We were formed for relationship before anything else with our Lord God. And that's interesting too. In this passage where we start talking about zooming in on the creation of man, up until this point, all through chapter one, God is referred to as just God. 
It's this creator God. He's the creator. But now when we start talking about the creation of man, he's called the Lord God. And that word, Lord God, that terminology is this covenant relationship. And he's saying from the very beginning and continuing now, God is in covenant relationship with his people. He is our father. He is our friend. He is the one who his, his faithfulness to us will never decrease. He will never leave us. He will always be with his people to the very end. And this covenant God, this Lord God, formed you and me for his purposes so that his glory would be displayed in us. So even those are, are good limitations that he's allowing. Okay, another limitation is uh, it says that the man was put. The man was put in the Garden of Eden. Uh, the man was placed. That word for put means he is intentionally placed. So here we have this beautiful picture of God. Uh, all, of, all of his creation, the whole world was untainted by sin. And even in all of this beauty and all of this glory, and there was not anything wrong with all of creation. It was all beautiful and wonderful. It says that God even still went into this place called Eden, which means delight, this wonderful place. And in this wonderful place, as if that wasn't wonderful enough, he cultivated, it says that God planted a garden there for man to dwell in. And it says that he put the man in the garden to work it and to keep it. God creates this beautiful garden of delights that he planted specifically for man. And really what it is, we don't have time to get into this today, but it's really a garden temple. It's a place where God dwells with man. We'll see later in, in the next chapter that God would, would go and walk with man in the garden and have this deep, intimate relationship. This was the place where um, man was to live with his God in his uh, intimate relationship that he was made for. And we, as he describes that this, this garden was placed at the mouth of these four rivers. So like we're not dependent on the rain. It's, it's, this place is always going to be fertile. It's always going to have abundant resources, the abundant wealth of, of the water that it needs to, to grow all of these beautiful plants. It says that God caused to spring up from the ground every tree that was beautiful and good for food. So all of the goodness possible just, just put right into this little, this garden for man to work and to keep and to delight in God and have relationship with God there. And as it goes on to talk about, you know, where these four rivers flow and all of the, all of the latent potential for creation and artistry and beauty, it talked about all the minerals that are there and the, the gemstones and the gold. It's everything is here. Everything is buried in creation, ready for man to cultivate and discover and create alongside his creator God in this deep, perfect, intimate relationship where he's working and keeping the ground, he's working and keeping the garden, he's working and keeping this world uh, for flourishing and for health and for goodness and for beauty. And those words, uh, to work it and to keep it, that word to work it is, is this word to serve. So you know, before we heard that um, God has given man dominion over the world, and this is the way that he exercises dominion. Under God's authority, serving creation, serving his fellow man to bring about flourishing, to bring about health, to bring about life and goodness. It's not a lording over, it's a lording under. Man is to, to worship the Lord by serving the land in this way. And to keep it means to guard or to watch. And so we have this picture, we talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago, but it's this paying attention to and then attending to. 
Man is called to pay attention to the people and the place around him or her and to see where the needs are and to see how they can meet those needs. And so it's paying attention to, it's guarding, it's watching, it's keeping, making sure that, that everything is moving toward health and flourishing. And then it's tending. It's actually attending to, it's taking action based on what you've observed and working it and working it toward health and healing and life and flourishing. And so we were placed uh, in a specific place to work for a specific purpose, which is the good of that place and the people of that place. And the same is still true of us now. The only difference is now in this world that has been tainted by sin is our working and keeping the people in the places where we have been put by God is gonna require our suffering. And we bring a lot of suffering on ourselves by trying to escape suffering and get out of here and try to go find a place that requires less suffering to serve. And, uh, and Jesus speaks to this in John 12, 24. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So, so there's so many times that I am tempted to see where God has put me, the, the, the stations of life that he has called me to, the people that he's called me to, uh, the places that he's called me in, in this community where he's put me, and, and I'm tempted to rage against my limitation of where he's put me. That if you would just put me with different people or put me in a different place, give me a different job, give me a different neighborhood, give me a different family, give me a different whatever, that we just rage against the limitation of where we've been put. And we go, we go looking for a place where we can find purpose somehow without suffering at all. And Jesus is saying, hey, this limitation is good. Like where I've put you and who I put you with and the things that I've called you to do, the work that I've given you to do and gifted you to do, it is gonna require suffering. But look, <laughs> that's just life on earth now. But if you will trust me and you will follow me, if you will, instead of looking for another place to get planted, if you little seed will just root yourself into this place where I've put you and die to yourself so that you can work and serve, then you will see beautiful fruit born out of your labor. But whether you do or don't, we won't escape suffering. But again, it's a good limitation of we were put in a specific place. I can't be everywhere. I can't do everything. I can't do all these different jobs. I can't fulfill all these dreams that I have or these visions of what might be really awesome out there. I'm, I'm right here. I'm called to pay attention and be present right here and use the tools that he's given me to bring life and health and healing and flourishing to the people and the places where he's called me right here to be attentive to like what's happening right here and then to move toward and attend to the people and the places where I am. And this limitation is also a blessing because it focuses us back on our relationship with him. I'm gonna feel my smallness because of all, maybe the weight of suffering, maybe the difficulty of the situations where I find myself, and that's gonna run me right back to him. And he's gonna remind me, hey, I am calling you to do this work, but the, the primary reason you are here is to have a relationship with me. And this pain, these limitations draw you back 
you come running back to me to enjoy the relationship that I have with you. And then finally, the last two verses here, uh, we get this, this last limitation uh, that we are a people who are commanded. So this is, uh, it's interesting. I don't know if you're like me, but when, when I first read this passage and everything is perfect and everything is wonderful, and then you read this command, it, it sort of, in some sense, it sort of feels like, why, why did God have to give a command? Why did he have to put a limitation on what we could do or what we couldn't do? But again, this, this is a good limitation. It, it, it keeps the relationship with God as the focus. Um, all of this creation, all of this beauty, all this goodness, all the possibilities and potential that's out there in the world, all of that is secondary to you and me being in the relationship that you were made to be in with me. All of this beauty, all of this cultivation that awaits you, remember this, this tree that's, that sits in the middle of this garden where I've put you, Every time you look at that, you know that you are limited. And I've called you to be obedient to me. Because this relationship, you and me, is why you're created. And all of life is going to flow from that relationship being healthy. And so that's one reason that we have that limitation. The second is this limitation actually brings us freedom. Uh, as one commentator put it, he said it like this. The animals were created without any such capacity for a will like man was created with. There's, they have no capacity to will and desire in this way, and they, have, they do not have any command. They are in contented bondage, as he put it, to their surroundings. Their behavior is a product of inborn and incoming urges. But that's not what man is. Man is called to uh, set a course and hold to it. And in deliberately allowing or rejecting the pressures on him, he shows himself free. So God giving us this limitation is giving us a will. He's giving us an ability to choose and to move toward the good. To be full and free spiritual beings made in his image with capacity for tremendous good or tremendous harm. And, uh, and we, we know the tremendous harm that this has brought in, in not choosing the good. Um, there's a thing in me that wants to transcend my good limits. There's a thing in me that wants more. There's a thing in me that as I'm watching God plant this garden in Eden and say, wow, all of the rest of these trees are amazing. They're beautiful and they're really good for food. How about, wouldn't it be good for me to also eat from the tree, the knowledge of good and evil? If this is good, why not more? And that's still the way that we operate. There's still this thing in us that wants to buck those good limits. If it's good to eat, why don't I eat more? If it's good to drink, why don't I drink more? If it's good to have fun, why don't I have more fun? If it's good to work, why don't I not rest on the Sabbath and work more? If, if money is good, why don't I get more? And there's, I, I can't be content within my limits. I'm always pushing and bucking those limits. If sex is good, why not more with more people, with different people? If, if health is good, why don't, wasn't that just become an obsession and I get more? And I just, I just put everything else down as I pursue this uh, limitless life. And Jesus says, everybody who makes a practice 
of this kind of living. Everybody who makes a practice of sin is showing themselves to be a slave to sin. There's, he's, he's addressing this reality now that because we have not chosen the good, we actually have this condition called sin that we are enslaved to. And apart from him, we can't choose We can't choose something better. We cannot choose the things of God. We are enslaved to sin, and we will always choose that. But Jesus, our Savior, the one that we worship, the one that we celebrate, he is the one that came and exercised his free will under the good authority of the Father in a way that we did not. It says that uh, Jesus says, My Father, if it's possible... Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus knew why he was sent. He was sent to set us free because we are now all enslaved to sin. And he came and he did the will of his father. It was his joy to trust his father in a way that we did not. It was his joy to find life in his intimate relationship with his father in a way that we did not. And even as he goes to the the darkest places that you and I will never have to go because of what he's done, even there on the eve, on the verge of the, the deepest darkness that anyone could ever endure, even there, he said, I really don't want to do this. But it's not what I want that carries the day. It's what you want. And so if you want this, then I'm going to trust you. I'm going to lean into your love for me and trust that this is good. And it is good. Because what he did it on the cross And his death and resurrection is what makes us free again. We were slaves to sin, and now we're free again. It says this uh, in John chapter 20. After he suffered and died and was buried and resurrected, it says, Jesus came and stood among his disciples and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side to show that it was really him. His disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. That call to cultivate, to work, and to keep, he's saying, I'm sending you to do that again. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So we get this beautiful picture of Jesus through his death and resurrection. We're back in the garden and he's recreating us. He's saying, Just like you were formed, I'm forming you again. I'm putting my Holy Spirit in you again so that you can have life again. You're no longer a slave to sin, but you, are, you have life and the Spirit of God dwells in you. And I've put you somewhere. I've put you where you are to work and to keep. And that same call exists now. I'm calling you again to love God with everything you have, to love your neighbors yourself, to go make disciples. And now because of the life that we see in our Savior, that that life lives in us, we don't have to fear suffering and death. We have nothing to fear because we see that as we follow him into laying our lives down to have life, that that brings life, and that even as we die, we live. And that this world is not all that there is. The Lord is not going to leave things as they are now, this broken world. Um, He's called us to love it and tend to it, And he's remaking it just like he's remaking us. And he's making all things new. And there's a day coming where suffering and death are no more, just like we sang about. And, you know, Christians, we talk about this word sanctification, uh, this growing in grace, becoming more mature, becoming more like Jesus. You know, a definition of sanctification is uh, 
It's me fighting against my limits, against the backdrop of God's steadfast love and faithfulness to me, and him shaping my will and making it his more and more all the time. And so now, nothing can stop him in this work that he has started in you and I. As he is making us new, he will finish the work that he started. When we sin, which we will, because we still live in these bodies of flesh, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to believe the lie that the evil one whispers to us that, okay, that was the last straw. There's no way that God can love me anymore because listen to this. Listen to these words that God gives us through the Apostle Paul in Romans 7. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? What he's saying is I I still choose the ways that are not good. I still choose the ways that lead to death. Who will save me from this body that keeps wanting to run after things that don't give life, that bring shame and bring death and bring destruction to the people around me? And he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but my flesh serves the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So even now, even in Christ, we want to transcend these good limits. We want to buck against God and the limits that he puts on us so that we can have life and relationship with him. Even when we do that, we do not have to fear. We do not have to put ourselves in spiritual timeout. We don't have to wonder if his love for us is broken because he has a hold on us that nothing can break. And he says, even now, no matter what happens, no matter what you think, say, or do, no matter how many times you do think or say the thing that you said you will never do again, we are safe in his love because he has conquered death for us. He has taken our condemnation on himself so that we don't ever have to fear death. We don't ever have to fear slavery to sin again. We don't ever, ever have to fear God's condemnation. We have new life in him and nothing can touch that. And so now what I want to do is, is just to uh, spend a few moments reflecting in prayer, uh, just silently where we are. And as you think about the way that God has formed you, ways that you appreciate and ways that you do not appreciate. You think about where God has put you. Beautiful places and wastelands, feels like. And you think about the life that he has called you to, the command that he gives you, that is a good limit to draw you back to him. Um, just do business with him now. Um, confess your sin for uh, bucking against the good limits that he's given us and not believing his good intentions for us and ask him to give you what you need to live life with him. Father, I'm uh, particularly convicted about the fighting the limits of how you formed me and uh, how you've commanded me. Lord, um, forgive me for 
grumbling against the way that I was made, the way that I compare myself to other people. Uh, forgive me for grumbling against your commandments and your limitations. I'm always wanting a little bit more than uh, what you say is good. Uh, always wanting other things a little bit more than just being able to rest and enjoy you uh, because you are what I was made for. And so, Father, I, I pray on behalf of my brothers and sisters here uh, that for all of us this week, would you give us the faith? Would you give us the hope? And would you give us the love that we need to more and more say alongside you, Jesus, um, it's not what I want that carries the day, it's what you want. Lord, would you help us to trust you and to take your hand as you walk us into uh, a life with you that you say is good. Um, and we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. We'll stand and worship you, please.